that. Let's take a song book and let's stand together and let's turn to 341. 341. Victory in Jesus. I heard an old story. Our Savior came from the Now he gave his life on Calvary. To save the wretch like me, I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sin and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. Praise God in the fear I knew him and all my love into him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing blood. I heard about his healing. How he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. And then I find in Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. Praise God, he was here unto him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory. Beneath the cleansing blood, I heard about all mansions he has built for me in glory. As I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea, about the angels and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me for his redeeming blood. Praise God, he loved me as I do him. And all my love is to him. Watch me to victory beneath the cleansing blood. Amen. Let's sing, you ready? I 
thing I wanted to make mention of, I, I didn't think of it during uh, that time, but uh, the 31st uh, this month will be on a Wednesday night, and uh, Brother Tino Gropi, who was here before and had the display with the dinosaur stuff, y'all remember Brother Tino from the Yankee from Wisconsin? Uh, he's actually from Michigan, he lives in Wisconsin, but uh, Brother Tino and his wife, he, he does a yearly trip through Texas. Um, he's got a church out in Amarillo he visits as well as, as, as he's visited me every year. And, uh, he, and his wife's father, who's also a pastor, they live down around Corpus Christi, and there's several dinosaur museums and things, creation museums in Texas, and he generally makes a, a trip through all of it. But he's going to come, he's going to be with us the 31st, Wednesday the 31st of this month. And I've asked him to talk on the subject of geocentricity, and uh, it'll be interesting to you. And if you don't know what all that means, it's okay. Just come Wednesday, that Wednesday, and you'll find out. But uh, anyway, and he's going to be—they're going to be leaving after that Wednesday night, and they'll be going to Amarillo and a few other places, and then they'll be coming back. They're going to be here that Sunday morning, the fourth of September, with us. He'll be here for the morning service, and then they'll be leaving after the morning service and heading out. But anyway, Tino Gropi, just want you to be praying for him, and, uh, and we're looking forward to him being here with us. All right. Well, let's say. 345. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry. Everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often pray. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations, is there trouble anywhere? 
and our eyes are wet with tears. As we think of the sorrow through the weary wasted years, yet we walk the holy highway, walking by God's grace alone, knowing Calvary's fountain reaches deeper than the stream.
and how much you love them and how much you want to save them, how much you want to give their life meaning and purpose, Lord God, for your kingdom. And we thank you for each one that's in here this morning in the, in the auditorium. Lord, I pray you touch each one, touch each life, speak to each heart, meet each need. And, Father, for those who watch us on Facebook Live and those who who will listen in on Blog Talk Radio, Father, I pray you touch their lives as well. No matter whether they find, where they find themselves in this world, Father, you know them and you love them. And I pray, Father, they turn their hearts to you and yield themselves to you today. We'll give you the praise and glory for you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. I'm, I'm thankful to be back in Second uh, First Thessalonians this morning. Um, you remember our study is called Faith Under Fire. If you remember in the past, when they came to this city, again, brand new city, never heard the gospel, had no idea anything about it. And when they came, a bunch of people got saved in in about three weeks' time, three weeks to a month's time, a bunch of people got saved. A church was formed. The Jews were jealous, and the attacks started coming. Uh, There were some... There were some Gentiles who were upset and confused, and a, and a mob was was generated, and and they were brought before the magistrate. They came before the magistrates and said, "These that have turned the world upside down have come hither also. They're here. These who everywhere they go, they turn the world upside down." I want you to remember that statement because that's what the gospel can do. The gospel can turn the world upside down, and so I want us to look this morning. As, as Paul and Silas uh, are, are there in, in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, how Paul speaks about their time and coming in and meeting with them. And uh, let's look at that this morning as Paul describes his service there amongst the Thessalonians. Uh, he says there in verses 1 and 2, he says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you. You remember how things were when we came, that it was not in vain, it was not for nothing. But even after that we had suffered before, where did they suffer? In Philippi. You remember? They were there with Lydia, and uh, and they were arrested. They were arrested falsely. They were thrown in a Philippian jail. You remember all that. And uh, so when they came, the Bible said, We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel with much contention. Now, let me just start out with the first of this. The two words that best describe Paul and Silas, in my opinion, are bold and courageous. Bold and courageous. Verse 1, he said, for yourselves, brethren, y'all know. You know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. One of the reasons why Paul was successful when he came to Thessalonica, was that he was bold. If he had gone there and failed to preach the gospel, just came on an exploratory mission, just getting to know the culture and getting to know the people and getting to know the big wigs downtown and just exploring things, uh, you know, probably in a few weeks he wouldn't have made much of an impression if that's all he came to do. If he hadn't told anybody about Jesus, if he had not proclaimed boldly that Jesus was the only Savior, that Christ loved the world so much that he died for the world, that that only through him could they be saved and trusting in him as the risen Savior. If he had not done that, he wouldn't have had one single convert the whole time he'd been there for those three weeks. But Paul had come to a thriving, major pagan city where there was not one single Christian in the whole place. And matter of fact, nobody there probably had ever met a Christian, never heard of a Christian. What had he done? He said, you knew our entrance there. Well, the first thing he did when he got there, he walked, he walked right into the Jewish synagogue. And when they, when they gave time for anybody to stand up and say anything, he stood up and preached Jesus to them. He preached the gospel to them, told them that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless, spotless, perfect life, that he kept all the commandments of God, kept the law perfectly, and that he was righteous and holy, and that he had died on the cross, and that he was the Son of God, that he had borne the sins of mankind, and that he had been buried, and he had risen, and that he had ascended into heaven. That he had preached that message to them, in the Jews, in the synagogue. 
And then also in between, because that only happened on the Sabbath day, and he was there for three Sabbath days. So you had you had three different weeks during the time he was there where he had six days. So what did he do during those six days? Well, he went from house to house, knocking on doors, talking to every Gentile who would let him in and would give him an audience. He would sit and explain to them that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross of Calvary for their sins, was buried and rose from the grave, triumphant over sin and death, and that he is, is willing to save their souls if they serve, if all they do is believe on him as their Savior. And in a few weeks, in three weeks, and in three weeks most of us couldn't get couldn't get a committee to do something together, much less get anything done. But in a few weeks, this dynamic apostle, by the grace of God and by the power of God, has founded a new church. I mean, a new church is established in three weeks amongst people who've never even heard the name of Jesus. Think about that. Take that in for a second. And this is not just any church. This is a church that has been known down through the centuries as an example of faith and faithfulness. Think about that. It only took three weeks put that together. So how did he do it? Well, look at verse 2. Even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. What are you saying, Paul? They just come back from Philippi. They just got there, and they had been treated horribly there. I mean, they had been put in they had been put in jail unlawfully after having been beaten uncondemned. There was no proof they were guilty of anything. They were just arrested and whipped and put in jail. So they're in there bloody and beaten, and, and, and yet they suffered, but it wasn't for an unlawful activity. They suffered for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, and, and we know what happened, the earthquake and the conversion of the jailer and all those things, and then they left there and they came down to Thessalonica. But when they came into Thessalonica, you know, I mean, after what they had just been through, I suppose they could have said, man, you know, that cost us enough down there in Philippi. I don't know about preaching the gospel anymore because, I mean, good night. I I ain't even healed up from the last time. I mean, I still got open. I still got places that's that's oozing blood and and things from time to time I move the wrong way. I mean, I'm sore from head to toe. Can you not imagine how sore Paul had to have been? He He took a beating from a Roman soldier. That wasn't no little spanking. That was a beating. He was tore to pieces. But you know, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think it was shocking if he said, you know, man, I don't know about all this gospel preaching. This, this, it's costing me. I mean, most of us, most of us wouldn't, wouldn't. If somebody slapped us for preaching the gospel, most of us go home and cry. Let's just be honest. We'd get our feelings hurt and say, I ain't gonna do that no more. I got, I got hurt. But Paul didn't say that. Paul said, you know what, I'm not going to let that stop me. He didn't look at the town and, and when he got there and say, you know, I think I'll come back when the climate for preaching is a little better. There's too many idolaters in this town. Uh, you know, I, I just don't think it'd be, a, it'd be good to do it right now. You know, it's just not a good time. You know, Paul didn't tone down his message so he didn't offend anybody either. Think about that. He didn't trim his message so he didn't prick the conscience of the idol worshipers that he preached to. Think about that. We live in such a such a politically correct, sissified, self-soaping day that people preachers won't preach anymore because they're scared they're going to hurt somebody's feelings. Because we live in a day when everybody's so easily offended. I mean, so I don't I don't know how preachers in these big churches in these big cities can even preach at all. Most of them don't because they just get up and give motivational speeches because they'll offend people and they'll lose their job. But Paul didn't do that. Paul didn't, Paul didn't have a job. Paul wasn't looking to get nothing from them uh, except for them to get saved. So he came in there without any concern about what anybody thought, and he just let her fly, and he preached Jesus, and he preached that he's the only way and that their idols is going to damn them to hell. He preached to them that they were wicked and their sins and they needed to be forgiven. I mean, he could have come in and, 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 and not done that. I mean, he could have said, you know, again, I, I, I don't know, this is too much. This is too much, too much hardship on me. But instead, 
Instead of doing that, no, they were emboldened to go right in there and preach it again, just like they had. In this European city, without one single believer, Paul marched straight into the synagogue of the Jews and without reservation began to show them Christ from the Old Testament. Had no qualms about it whatsoever. Didn't care what it cost him. And like I said, in between Sabbath days, house to house. (laughs) Could I talk to you just a moment? I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. I don't know how he went into it, but he went in there to let them know. The the, the phrase in here, it says... We were bold in our God. Look here in verse 2. He said we were bold in our God. That's a powerful phrase. We were bold in our God. That word bold comes from a real long Greek word that I can't pronounce. But what it means is bold and speaking out. That's what he means. He says we were bold in our God. In other words, because we knew that we had the authority of God Almighty behind what we were saying, it wasn't on our authority. It wasn't because, hey, look at me. I'm Paul from Jerusalem. I'm Paul by way of Antioch, and I studied under Gamaliel, so you better listen to me. No, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Sock, uh, Hebrews, Sarkar, Benjamin. No, 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 no. I am speaking with authority because I'm speaking the words of God Almighty. He was bold in his speaking out. He stood right up in We are to be bold in our speaking. First John 1, 1 through 3, the Bible says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness. They said we bear witness. Amen. We have to tell people because we've seen it. We know it. You and I, we may not have handled him with our hands. We may not have seen him with our eyes, but we surely have known him, and we surely have experienced his love, and we surely need to witness as to what we have come to know. And he said, and we show unto you eternal life, which was with the Father and manifested unto us, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. Why? That ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That's what we are to do. We are to bear witness, to show it. We are to declare it. And without a doubt, as we talked about in Sunday school, there are some Christians who are not very bold. There are, there are some secret believers who don't lead anybody to Jesus. Don't want anybody to, to, to know that they are a Christian. They're ashamed to preach the gospel. That's the basic attitude of this generation. That's why we're talking about people dying going to hell faster faster than we can do anything about it. Because people are not interested in winning souls to Jesus anymore. We're just all camped out waiting on Jesus to come back. We're not worried about how many more are born with him. I'll give you some reasons, though, if you don't want to preach the gospel, if you don't want to witness. I'll give you some reasons why we shouldn't. Okay, I'm going to give you six reasons why we shouldn't preach the gospel. Number one, I'm not saved. If you're not saved, you probably shouldn't preach the gospel because you don't know how to be saved yourself. Amen? So that's number one. The second one is this. I don't care if other people go to hell. Now, you may say, that's not me. Well, if that's not you, then you ought to be willing to preach the gospel because if you do care if people die and go to hell, it ought to motivate you to tell somebody to get some tracks, to put handing tracks out, to start sharing Christ with somebody somehow because people are literally really genuinely, honestly dying and going to an everlasting hell. Number three, reasons not to preach the gospel? I'm selfish. I'm selfish, and my time's more important than that. that that's another reason to not preach the gospel. And, and, you know, there's plenty of people who use that excuse. And then number four, well, that's the pastor's job, not mine. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us he gave some... Apostles and evangelists, pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So it's the saint's job to do the work of the ministry. It's not the pastor's job to do the work of the ministry. It's his job to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Now it's my job as a saint to do the work of the ministry as well, but it's all of our jobs. It's not my job. All right, number five. Reasons to not preach the gospel? Well, I didn't understand it was my job. But if you do now. 
then you need to go forward and do it. And number six, I'm afraid it might cost me something. My family might think I'm a weirdo if I start talking to everybody about Jesus. My friends might not want to have anything to do with me if I start telling people about Jesus. It might cost me some valuable time. It might cost me some money to to do it. I might have to put a little gas in the vehicle, or I might have to. It might cost me a little time. I could have been out doing something else, making some money. There's always a reason if you don't want to tell somebody about Jesus. But Paul didn't let the reason stop him. He said, "I preached in the midst of much contention. Much contention." He didn't have an easy way. I mean, again, he showed up in a town that had never heard about Jesus, and it was full of idolaters. I mean, idolatry, plurality of gods, they served so many different little g-gods. They served all manner of idols. Uh, sexual promiscuity, promiscuity was rampant in Thessalonica, and then you had the, the, the synagogue of the Jews. So you had a bunch of people that didn't know anything about salvation. There was much contention. And that word contention, we get the word contender from that same Greek word. We know the word contender, you know, the famous line, and what was it, in Streetcar Named Desire, Marlon Brando, could have been a contender, you know, saying he could have been a fighter or whatever. Well, that, you know, when we talk about contenders in the ring, this last week, I, 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 y'all forgive me, but I've sat and watched a lot of Mike Tyson's old fights. Just something about watching him hit somebody so hard their head just snaps back. I don't know. I like to watch boxing for some reason. But but I've been watching a lot of that. He was a contender. Amen. It didn't take him long either, about 35 seconds sometimes. He'd have somebody laying flat. But that word, again, that word's used in the, in the world of boxing. And, and it refers to a struggle, to contend. It's the literal fight between two athletes for victory, to contend, struggle. And Paul knew going into Thessalonica it was going to be a struggle. But the victory would be worth the struggle. And that's what I want you to see. Yes, to serve Jesus properly as we sang about, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. To follow him, to obey him, means that we have to get out of our comfort zone. And we have to step sometimes into contention with the devil. But don't worry about it. God is on our side. And when we step out to do God's work, God is with us. And God will fight our battles for us. But it is, a, it is not for the timid. We must go into it knowing that it's not us. We cannot do it. God has to be our strength and our power. He has to be the one working through us. And God will do the agonizing, but we have to put ourselves in the fight. The word means to agonize. I can assure you. I was, watching, I was watching Buster Douglas with Mike Tyson. I was watching Razor Ruddick with Mike Tyson. And they were agonizing. They were, I mean, he was wearing them out, about to knock their head off their shoulders. They were agonizing. Amen. But you know what? He was agonizing, too. And, and when Paul went to uh, went to Thessalonica, he was agonizing in his struggle against the forces of evil. It was everywhere. The devil was in full uh, array in Thessalonica. Again, all the little G-gods everywhere, they're all representative of Satan, every single one of them. Every idol is representative of the devil. Everything represents something that other than God to worship. So it all represents the devil. And so he was agonizing against all that evil forces working against him. And he was also agonizing against the Jews who held the truth and unrighteousness. So he had, he had both communities he was agonizing against, but he was also agonizing in the work of the ministry. He was agonizing in the spirit to give them the gospel. So just as hard, you know, as a fighter in the ring is agonizing to avoid the punches of the opposition, he's also agonizing to lay a good lick. And Paul was agonizing to get them to hear the gospel, even though he had so much coming against them. And so, like I said, when I say it's a struggle, and it is a struggle to, to, to agonize, to be a contender uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ against the devil, but when I say it's a struggle, we need to remember something, speaking of Mike Tyson. Y'all remember he bit the part of the ear off of Evander Holyfield. I, once, I noticed a lot of his fights, uh, the bell would ring and he'd continue to throw one or two more licks. That happened all through the fights. So he'd throw a couple more and the other guy would throw a couple more. But we're not to fight like that. We're not to go biting and, and throwing punches late after the bell, I'm trying to say. If we're in, a, we're in a contest where we're supposed to play by the rules. He said, what do you mean by that? It's not my job 
to berate sinners. My job to preach to them. And I say that, and I, I, I'm not talking to you specifically, but I just want to admit it. I know a lot of men who preach on the street. And there's some of them, and all they do is stand there and just preach on how wicked everybody is. And they don't share the love of God. They don't share the love of Jesus, that he truly wants to save them. They just simply give all negative all the time. That's not the way. You, 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 you don't, listen, you've got to tell them that there's, that there's grace. You can't just preach the law, bang, 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 and never give them grace. You have to let them know. And so we have to do it right. Amen? And it's not our job to go out and look at everybody and say, oh, you're just wicked as hell. You're wicked as hell. You're going to burn in hell. Wicked, wicked, wicked. It's our job to point out to them that even though we're wicked, even though we're all sinners, even though we've all come short of the glory of God, ain't a one of us worth anything. All of us are, are disgusting before God. It does. You gotta When you talk to somebody, you've got to put yourself in that group with them because we once were there. Amen? We, we ain't got so far removed we can't look back and remember what we once were. All we need to do is identify them with us and I, us with them and let them know, hey, I'm not trying to be a buddy. I'm trying to get you to join me. Amen? I'm not trying to put you beneath me. I'm trying to give you a hand up so that you come up out of your sins and get saved and have eternal life. Again, we're not to come out of the wrong way. We're to preach a pure word of God. Look at verses 3 through 6. Because that's what Paul did. He preached the pure word of God. He said, for our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts, for neither at any time usually flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought me glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdened as the apostles of Christ. Now, these verses, what they do, they describe to us the character of Paul's preaching. One of the tragedies of our present day, as you all well know, is that a lot of preaching out there is not according to the Word of God. All you got to do is turn on the TV. You can find lots of that. They usually have giant auditoriums full of lots and lots and lots of people who clap when they say something good. Y'all ever seen that? I just, I just... There's something about that that I despise. That it goes all over me. And, I, and, I, and you may not, you may like John Hayden, but I always irritate me. He said, "Give me your hand." God never says clap for me in the Bible. Nowhere in the Word of God. Amen. People say Amen. You know what that means? That means Amen. That's right. I agree with that. You're you're acknowledging that God is right, and that's what God asks us to do. Not clap. Amen. But I, I ain't come to preach on that. I just want to say to you this morning that. We, we we cannot get away from the Word of God. The Word of God has to be pure. It has to stay pure. Amen? We we don't need to, to, to follow philosophy or science. We don't need to, 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 to get off into uh, ideologies of other... Uh, you know, there's so much, and we've learned that in the last, in the last few months of studying in Revelation. There are so many traditions that we find that have seeped in to our thinking that come from the Catholic Church. So many things that have seeped into our thinking that have come from, from Babylon. So many things that we, we, we need to, we, God will reveal to us as we go further down this journey. We need to get out of our life. Um, but we need to make sure we keep the Word of God as pure as pure can be and not, not take anything else in. We need to be like the ancient Bereans who were the next people that Paul and Silas visited after they were forced out of Thessalonica. Listen to Acts 17, 10, and 11. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And in the third church in Thessalonica, Paul just raved about it, what a great church they were, but he said that those were more noble. Well, Luke actually said that. He said, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. So when Paul read it to them, they were like, yes, that's what we need. Oh, thank God. And, and not only that, the Bible said, and they searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. So not only did they receive it and go, praise God, that's, that's a wonder. Went back and checked and made sure that Paul was telling them the truth and not just giving them something that they wanted to hear. And let me just say to you as plain and clear as I can, believers today need to search the Scriptures 
and test the messages that they hear by the book. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying check me out. Check out what I'm saying to you. Don't take me at face value. I'm not telling you that because I'm going to give you something that's a lie or a half-truth, but I'm giving you that because you ought to bear responsibility for your own faith, and you ought to check it out and make sure what I'm saying is true, and when you affirm it, the Holy Ghost of God will affirm in your heart, and you go, hallelujah, that's right, hallelujah, that's true. Amen? Don't just take me at my word. Check me out. But let me carry on and say this. Paul was also an equal opportunity offender. Amen? I, I like to do that too. Amen? I'm not going to say what I'm going to say. If it hurts your feelings, you know what? Uh, that's too bad. You're in the way of truth. I mean, I, I'm not mad at you, but I'm going to tell you the truth whether it makes everybody in here mad or not. Paul Priest, listen. He said, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Paul knew that when he came to the end of his life, he's not going to stand before man. He's going to stand before God. So he's the one he's responsible to. And for that reason, Paul didn't fear any man. He wasn't afraid of anybody. It didn't matter what it cost him. It didn't matter if they took his life, you know. He was willing to die. So he didn't fear any man. Paul didn't, again, Paul didn't check and see what science had to say on the subject before he preached the gospel. Matter of fact, he talked about science falsely so-called because there was some false... Science nonsense going around Paul's day, just like there's a whole bunch of it going around in our day. Hey, I'm sure they had an Anthony Fauci back in that day, too. I'm sure, I'm sure there was something, somebody of his ilk in the world who was trying to fool people with science, so-called. But Paul didn't check on science before he preached, because God's Word supersedes science. Amen? Amen? He didn't check on philosophy before he spoke. You don't offend somebody's philosophical ideas. Well, he didn't care about that. You see, philosophy is not in the Word of God, amen? The only philosophy is God's, amen? And God's is truth. There's no debate. There's no, uh, I take it to what I think it means. It's no, you hear people these day and time talking about speaking my truth. I'm speaking my truth. There is no such thing as your truth. Get that through your head. I'm going to clear some things up. Number one, there's no such thing as your truth. There's only the truth. And either you're in line with it or you're not in line with it. All this talking to the universe and the universe sending me things, that's pagan. That's witchcraft. They're in, the universe don't do anything. That's, that's calling God his own creation. That's worshiping the create creation rather than the creator. Amen. Just thought I'd throw that out there in case somebody was confused on that. But, again, Paul didn't check with philosophy. Paul didn't check the politics before he spoke either. Amen. You know why I know that? Because he offended the Romans when he spoke, because he said, hey, there ain't no, there ain't no king but Jesus. He's the only king. And they went, oh, <laughs> how dare you say that? Because they worship Caesar. They worship Caesar as God. Paul didn't check with the world's religions before he spoke either. He knew that was going to upset a lot of apple parts when he preached Christ. But he didn't let the view... Any singular person in Thessalonica affect his preaching. He didn't go in there worrying about what anybody thought. Paul wasn't subject to anybody but the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he was not going to answer openly to anybody but the Lord Jesus Christ, just as every single person under the sound of my voice today will. Every single one of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and answer for the time that you and I spent here on this mission field called Earth. Paul said, neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know. Flattering words. Honest preaching is not meant to make you feel good about yourself. Did you know that? Coming to church, you'll not walk out the door feeling better than you walked in. I say feeling better about yourself than you walked in. Uh Honest preaching is to make you examine yourself in the light of a holy and perfect God. Honest preaching is meant to be the vehicle by which the Holy Ghost of God takes the Word of God and pricks the heart of of the listener and brings him under conviction 
to the cross of Calvary and the salvation and the life of believer. It's to prick the heart about the sin that's unconfessed and to bring that person to repentance and to, and to get things right between them and God so they can be full of fellowship. 1 Corinthians 1, 21-24, Paul said, For after that in the wisdom of God, I'm sorry, after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Paul said preaching is foolishness. And I'll prove it to you. This morning, every one of us got up out of bed, and we got dressed in, in nice clothes, come down here and sit for nearly two hours and have somebody tell us how lousy we are and how much we needed to get better. Think about that. You came down here to be told that you need to do better. Amen? And you came willingly and gladly. It's foolishness, but that's God's way of doing things. Amen? What God does is rule says, I don't want to go out there and have a preacher bark at me. I want to go out there who does he think he is? Other people are like that. Well, I know I ain't nothing. Amen? I'm so bad I can use good grammar. Amen? I know I ain't nothing. But that's all right. God is everything. And we none of, none of us are, are anything without him. It is. It's a foolishness of preaching, the Bible says. But the Bible says the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Now listen to what he says. This is good. Notice, remember those two things. The Jews require what? A sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. All right, so he said, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block. So instead of a sign, it's a stumbling block, right? And to the Greeks, foolishness. Instead of wisdom, it's silliness. That's how they see it, those that are lost. So where it should be a sign, they see it as, that's just in my way. That's something, that's a, that's a hindrance, not a sign to show me anything. It's a hindrance, and the Greek said it's stupidity rather than wisdom. He said, but unto them that are called. You see, those are the ones that God knew from the time before time began that they would trust Christ because they would they would believe on Jesus Christ. It's not that he forced them to, but again, in his, in his wisdom, his infinite wisdom, God knew they would be saved because he knew they would trust Christ, and those are the ones he calls the called or his elect. And he says, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, to those who can see it, it's clear as a bell. Amen? But to those who are lost, they can't see it for anything. In verse 3, I want you to see what Paul says. Paul emphasizes the sincerity of their preaching. I want you to listen closely. He said, for our exhortation, our, 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 our encouragement, it was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. He said, I didn't come to trick anybody. I didn't come using questionable methods when I came to you. I didn't try to get empty, superficial decisions for Christ so so I could go back to Antioch with a long list of names and say, All these people, they bowed their heads and said, Dear Jesus, I know I'm married. Blah, 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 blah. Real quick. And, and, and it's, like, it's like so many people who think they're really doing a good job for the Lord. If I can get them to pray a prayer, they're saved. No, that's not true. You can get them to say these words, they're saved. No. Listen, they have to believe in their heart. They need to confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that God has raised them from the dead. And then they shall be saved. But just confessing with their mouth without believing in their heart doesn't do anything. But confusing. He wasn't trying to get an empty confession. He laid down plainly before them the truth of the gospel and the reality of heaven and hell. And the result was when they trusted Christ, it was a real decision that resulted in a strong testimony that stood the test in the days that followed. Both the content of Paul's message and the intent of his message was pure. And the most important thing about our message, whether we be the pastor or the Sunday school teacher, or the soul winning witness on the street, is that our message is true and that it pleases God. That's really what matters. Amen? Paul said in verse 5 and 6, he says, For neither at any time usually flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, 
God is witness. For, nor of men shall we glory, neither of you nor yet of the heavens, when we might have been burdened so as the apostles of Christ. Can I ask you this morning, what do you think God thinks about your efforts to share the message of Jesus with other people? I'm not asking you to say nothing or even make a face. I'm just saying, what do you personally think God thinks about your efforts to win people to Jesus? Because I'm not asking you what does he think about this church as a collective whole. I'm saying as you individually. Because when the judgment seat of Christ comes, we will not stand as a church. We will stand individually and be judged individually by Jesus for what we did for him. If we have any efforts at all, are they done unselfishly for Christ? That's another important thing. We must be busy for our Savior, and we must do it not out of compulsion, but out of love. Paul, Paul's saying to him, listen, in verse 5 and 6, he said, I didn't come here to please you, and I did not come here to impress you. I didn't come here because I wanted or desired anything from you. I didn't want your gifts, and I don't want your praise, unlike Caesar. Caesar wanted their gifts, and he wanted their praise. The idolatrous temple of the priest down there, they wanted their gifts, and they wanted their praise. Paul said, I didn't. I had something I wanted to give you instead. I came to obey the commandment of my Savior and present to you the way of salvation. He came with unvarnished truth. Amen? He brought them something that turned the world upside down. Powerful. God, God longs to move in your life this morning so powerfully that people who've known you will look at your lives. They're not the same person. That's not the way I remember them being. There is a new fire in their bosom that was not there before. They have a passion to see people saved that I've never seen in them before. You only got this one life. There's an old saying it says, only one life too soon is past. Only what's done for Christ will last. I ask you today, are you serious about it? Are you sincere? Are, are you doing anything for Jesus? Regardless of what it costs you, get busy for God. The results will speak for themselves. I can tell you, if, if, if I didn't believe in what I was preaching, I'd, I'd fold up my Bible and go to the house. If I didn't believe in, in, in surrendering to God and, and being willing to be a witness, if I didn't believe it worked, I'd never speak on it again. But I know that it works. And I know that if we as believers will get off of the fringe, and step a little closer to the Lord, we'll find out that's where the ministry is. That's where the that's where the action's taking place. If we'll simply surrender to God and say, Lord, I'm putting myself in your hands and I know there are people around me that you want to be saved. And Lord, I if you'll use me to speak to them, Lord, I promise you I'll open my mouth and I'll speak to them and you be my power. You you be the force that works through me. You do the convicting. You show them that they need to be saved. Lord, I can't do it, but I'll do what I can do and I'll speak for you. If you put yourself in his hands in that capacity, I promise you in a month or two, you come in here grinning from ear to ear and grabbing me by the arm and say, i got to tell you something. Guess what happened? You, I guarantee you, God will not just cast you aside and say you're not worthy to be used. If you want to find out what this Christian life is all about, surrender and let him have you, and he'll do something with you. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a song of invitation, number 351. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer before we sing.
Thank you. 